Hello, and welcome to Fatal Femmes, a podcast surrounding the women of mystery. Each episode will look at a movie or TV show written, directed, or made famous by a female-identifying artist. We're your hosts, Laura Celeste and Lacey Cannon-Gonzalez. Stay tuned. In this episode, we look at the 2015 TV series Jessica Jones, created by Melissa Rosenberg, starring Kristen Ritter, Mike Coulter, Rachel Taylor, and David Tennant. To get us started, here is a synopsis. Jessica Jones, a superpowered woman with PTSD, becomes a private investigator. But when the person responsible for her trauma resurfaces, Jessica must rise to stop him. Trigger warnings for this episode include gun violence, physical violence, PTSD, panic attacks, emotional abuse, physical abuse, and substance abuse. This episode does include strong language that is not safe for work or around children. We do want to caution you that this episode is full of spoilers. We get in-depth on every aspect of the plot, so if you care about that, go watch the episode and come back. We'll be waiting. We have with us today our very special friend, Ginny! Yay! Hey, guys. She is our Marvel comic expert with us today, since we are delving into the comic world for the first time. Yep. It fits, because this is a very mystery-oriented show with a noir style. Very much so. We have detective, crime, drama, thriller, psychological stuff, some comic stuff. Checks a lot of the boxes. So today we are talking about Netflix's TV show, Jessica Jones, and we're going to cover the pilot today. Jessica Jones was originally going to be on ABC, but they passed on it and then they took it to Netflix for development, which I think is a really good move because a lot of the things that happen in the show they wouldn't have been able to get so in-depth on if it was on network television. It's definitely a darker style show. So I think they were, like you said, they were able to have a little bit more freedom with how they chose to portray things. This was the first lead female superhero that Marvel did. Obviously, Captain Marvel was the first movie, but Jessica Jones came out in 2015, so she was the first one to head up her own Yeah, which series. We, we were just talking about, too. Carol Danvers is part of the Jessica Jones world. She is. So, And that's the character that Trish kind of replaced, right? Carol is, in the comic books, Carol is uh, Jessica's best friend, and she hadn't been introduced into the Marvel Cinematic Universe at that point, so... They replaced her completely. Like I'm more being more familiar with the comic books um, and watching the show. I'm sort of kind of figuring out like, oh, this character is replacing Carol because she's not here. They haven't introduced her yet. But Trish does exist in the comic books, not the Jessica Jones comic books, but she does exist in the Marvel Comics universe, mm-hmm. which is interesting. Because spoiler alert, she is another yes. superhero. Yes, she is the character Hellcat. Um, I've never actually read any Hellcat. We they they like uh, revamped her in I don't know twenty sixteen or seventeen something like that. And I've heard really good things about the comic, but I haven't read it. But she yeah yeah okay. So her name name is her name is Patricia Walker. Mm-hmm. She goes by Patsy Walker, but she's Hellcat. She goes back starting as far back as the forties. They introduced her. She was in a lot of teen comics. She had a reboot in 2015. Um, I actually wrote down a little thing from the wiki because I haven't read any of the character. She can sense mystical phenomena 
or those items or persons touched touched by mystical energy. She can use a force field that deflects mystical attacks and is able to summon her costume at will, which is I kept I don't know kind of weird, but um, kind of like Iron Man. <laughs> yeah, she yeah I don't know it's really interesting since I haven't read any of the comics I don't quite know how she's portrayed, but yeah I had to look her up and since she goes by Patsy I had to make sure that was the same character. Apparently it is it's the same character. As we go on in Jessica Jones season one, you discover that Trish actually was a teen pop star or teen star, and her name was Patsy. Oh. So knowing the backstory of okay. Hellcat appearing in a lot of teen comics. That makes a lot of sense. That's okay. actually very that's clever. That's really clever, yeah. Good job, Melissa Rosenberg. They didn't just take the Jessica Jones comics, which were originally alias comics, which could be confused with the alias TV show that Jennifer Garner was in. And take that storyline, they had to grab from all these other things once they removed Carol Danvers from this world. Mm-hmm. And Marvel does that a lot. They There's a lot of crossover. So they'll, they'll have, you know, if you're reading one character's comics, you know, they'll introduce other characters just to kind of do that crossover on purpose. Just to kind of be like, oh, hey, maybe you like this character. And you can, and you know, sometimes there will be like references to old things that happened in some other character's comic. And they'll kind of like include a little note like, check out Spider-Man number, whatever, you know, mm-hmm. to kind of go tell you where to find that story. So it's a cool way to kind of connect the worlds. And- oh, yeah. And like a lot of those big stories that they have. So the the Civil War stories, the Infinity War stories, they, they do a ton of that kind of crossover. Mm-hmm. And so you'll get like little pieces of it. So for me, I generally read one character so not not really one storyline i'm not necessarily going for civil war or anything like that i'm just reading one character all the way through Mm -hmm. and so i'll get little pieces of it and i'm like what is going on i don't who is this character and it'll it'll give those little notes like check out this storyline like they have i read a lot of ms marvel and captain marvel um i like both of them and captain marvel was a big part of Civil War II, which is apparently a thing in the comics. And that that big fallout is between Iron Man and Captain Marvel. Mm. And I got bits and pieces of that Civil War II storyline reading Captain Marvel's comic books. And it was just kind of, I don't really know fully what's happening. But it's to get you to kind of cross over and, you know, check out those other comic books. Yes, keep the readership up. I had that when I was reading the New 52 DC comics and the um, Catwoman run. And they had a crossover series with Batman. So then I had to track down the Batman and the Batman and Robin and the, all these other ones that were in the Batman world to find out what how this story concluded. Well, because it's also like one character can have multiple different like universes or different realities. So if you're following one character, you're going to go, that could take you in a lot of different directions. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, and especially if it's a character that's been around for a really long time that they've done a lot of different things with. So they might completely revamp the character. But if you go find an older version of this character, their, you know, maybe their powers are slightly different Mm -hmm. and, you know, under a different author, a different artist, it's just portrayed in a really different way. So, like, for Jessica Jones, how long has she been around in the comic world? So, I think she's been around since, like, 2005, something like that. Oh, it's so she's not newer. A, yeah, she's not, a, she's not a long, long-term kind of character. She, You were talking about the Alias comics. I think that was her introduction. And then she had her own self-titled series, I think, in about 2016. To I assume it was to kind of catch on with the show, to sort of pick up on that 
for people who were interested in the comic, um, and since it, you know, it has the same name. So I started reading the Jessica Jones comic, the self-titled one, uh, the more recent one, and it kind of just throws you in. And I could tell reading it that there was more to the character. Mm-hmm. I was like, there's more backstory here. It just sort of tosses you in with her, you know, with her PTSD and her backstory, and it doesn't quite fully cover all of that. And mm-hmm. I, so I have a Marvel Unlimited subscription, and that's a digital comic subscription for Marvel Comics where you can kind of put in a character or put in a storyline that you want to read and read everything that they have on their online platform. But there are some things that they don't put on their platform. So sometimes it's related to content. Maybe if it's more mature content, they don't put Mm -hmm. it on there. Um, And the Alias comics are part of that. So they're not included in the Marvel Unlimited subscription. Actually, I haven't read those. I have a friend that's offered to lend them to me, but haven't gotten there yet. So. Well, something to look forward to. Yeah, absolutely. But I think they're all the same author. So Brian Michael Bendis is kind of mm-hmm. the creator, the author, and I think he's done all of the major kind of runs for the comics. Yeah, I, w- I have in my notes that Brian Michael Bendis and Michael Gatos is, I don't know where he fits into this, but I'm guessing he he's must have. probably the artist. I don't know for the sure. The artist? Um, probably. Yeah, I don't, yeah. Cool. The original run of the Alias comics was under Marvel's Max yeah. brand, which is their more adult comics. So that's oh. yeah. It, yeah, and I don't think the Marvel Max comics are included. I don't. I think that's probably why they were originally going to focus on a little used character called Jessica Drew, who was Spider Woman, and had been disused over the years. But he said as he started writing this that she didn't fit and the voice of Jessica Jones came out so he created her and they decided not to use Jessica Drew. Oh wow. That's so cool. And then and then this was made for the more adult comics, which is very understandable given that this show is very adult. Yes. It's very good. So let's go ahead and jump into it. I really love, because the original title of the show was AKA Jessica Jones. So every episode starts with AKA. Yeah, so the first episode is AKA Ladies Night. So that's what we'll be talking about today. And this is just, as far as pilots go, it's a really strong intro. And I think Melissa Rosenberg, who not only created the show, she wrote the pilot, And I think her, along with um, S.J. Clarkson, who directed this episode, they did such a good job of revealing things in layers. It's just like you peel back a little bit so you get a little taste of the character, a little taste of her story, what's going on, and what you can expect from the season. It's like what Roxy Hart says in Chicago. You give them just enough and leave them wanting more. Yes, and I want... It's like I already watched this whole season when it first debuted back in 2015 and watch re-watching the show I'm ready to watch the season again because it, it's such a good intro yeah and I want to start first talking about the music because oh, yeah. that opening so, song perfectly encapsulates what yeah. you're gonna see it's, yeah right from the intro like yeah you, you kind of you're like okay like it's kind of detective-y mm-hmm. like the, the the music and the visuals like you can, it's like, okay, like, I'm getting kind of a Veronica Mars kind of vibe mm-hmm. here. And then as Absolutely. as the theme song keeps going on, it starts to build a bit, and you get the more feeling of, like, the dramatic, action Like, superhero yeah. coming in. No, because when that music begins and the images, it's totally noir. Like, it hits that Absolutely. button. 
hard, and I love that. But so, yeah, it does bring in that that superhero element at the end. It's like, who wrote the music, you know? I don't have that in my notes. Let me see really quick. Oh, he has composed for Star Trek, Bones, 24, Homeland, Designated Survivor, Elementary, The Simpsons. Okay. But a lot of these shows, I'm seeing lots of mysteries, lots of detective, lots of procedural Mm -hmm. kinds of shows. Mmm. Yeah. Sean Callery is the composer? Yeah. So kudos to you, Sean Callery. That is an amazing intro. And from there, we move on to the opening scene, which, again, just, it is the show. It is New York City, and it's dark. It's at night. And it's just gritty. We start, and it's like touching on that noir again. You start with a voiceover, like you're seeing kind of the illicit activity, and you get that detective voiceover. It's immediately letting you know, like, hey, this is what's going to happen. And we open with her talking about how New York is the city that never sleeps, but it sure does sleep around. And so that's an intro to her being a private investigator because it's kind of. You don't see her taking the photos, if I'm not mistaken. No, you see the photos. Yeah, you see the photos focusing and snapping. You see the illicit activity, which is must be an, an extramarital affair. And so that's all going on, and she's talking about it. So you clearly get the sense that she, this is what she does for a living. Which also, I feel like, is a little bit of a Veronica Mars thing, because if I remember Absolutely. correctly, in that's how it starts. Veronica Mars starts with her staking out a couple, and you see through the camera. And we get a lot of voiceover from her too, I think, Uh right? Yeah. Yeah, and I I think the voiceover is a nice introduction. Like you were saying, when Brian Michael Bendis was writing the character, he was originally planning for it to be Jessica Drew, but Jessica Jones had her own voice. And I think that the voiceover is well used to kind of get that inner monologue from her and get that she's... She's so different than any other Marvel character. And Mm -hmm. I think that hearing it from her in first person is really important. We also get right away how cynical she is. Yep. Because that line, the city that never sleeps, but it sure does sleep around, that's not a hopeful, happy person speaking right there. That's not not Steve Rogers. No. No. (laughs) Can you imagine? Yeah, let's let's do a character swap. Let's put Jessica Jones in Steve Marvel's or in Steve Rogers' shoes. Oh and God! Steve Rogers and Jessica Jones's shoes. That is a he different just, movie. He would just be chastising people like, like now, now. You should be ashamed of yourselves. I'm not. I'm. I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. Oh, disappointed. <laughs> he'd be a disappointed oh, he would, dad. He would be the dad. disappointed dad all the time. <laughs> and so we see her meeting with her client, and we find out, which I thought this was interesting, because it's usually always the dude that's cheating that it's the woman that was cheating. And I think that just again. Kind of again lets you know kind of quick focuses on women. It's good and it's not, women aren't going to play the typical role they play in these sorts of shows. We also find out that she's sleeping with the dude's brother. He gets the, really the mad. woman. The woman that's cheating, not Jessica Jones. No, no, the woman who's cheating is sleeping with her husband's brother. Yeah, because you don't actually see her meet with the client. You just hear it's like a long pan down the hallway as that slowly comes in on the door, I believe, mm-hmm. and. You hear the argument, and he's like, he's stopping my brother, and whatever. And then you hear her talking, and she's, like, completely calm. And he's going off and blaming her. And then you see his torso fly through a window. (laughs) (laughs) She talks about that there's usually two ways that people handle this information. One 
is to blame her, even though they hired her to find this out. Mm -hmm. And I don't remember what the other is. I can't remember off the top of my head. Basically, it's like either you get... You blame them or blame her or yeah. something to, to that effect. And this guy has clearly chosen to blame Jessica Jones. Yeah. So, and she said that never goes well. <laughs> and this is the first kind of hint that we get to her powers. Like, we don't yes. really know at this point what her powers are, but we know she can handle herself. Like, she gets rid of this guy without any trouble at all. Yeah, she's not even that phased by it. Because she's standing over his unconscious body hanging through this door window going, so about my bill. Which clearly shows that she isn't getting paid. Which leads us to our next scene where she goes to this really fancy law office and meets with Jerry and is asking Jerry for work because she needs money. And she says, I'm not going to beg you for a job, but I will ask you very strongly. And Jerry talks about her unorthodox methods and how there's been complaints about her and she keeps saying well you need my methods that's why you hire me because I get things done that other people can't get done yeah and I think that's alluded to how she enters the office because she just comes in and walks in like she's supposed to be there and the receptionist is like you have a meeting and she's like yeah and she's like you're lying and she's like yeah probably (laughs) (laughs) but just like she she doesn't really have a respect for decorum at all And Jerry did offer her a full-time job there, and she turned it down, apparently um, rather harshly using a lot of expletives. She likes freelance. Yeah, (laughs) she likes freelance, no ties. So, But Jerry does give her a job. She's going to serve papers on this guy that nobody's been able to get a hold of. This really, really reputable strip club owner that's just, you know... doing, Doing well. Yeah, apparently one of his performers was dancing on a pole and the pole fell down and so she has brain damage and his defense was that she was always that stupid well and i think this is interesting because this tells you a little bit a bit about jerry because she's like Absolutely. you know i'm representing the stripper and jessica jones is kind of like oh the, the poor brain damaged stripper mm-hmm. and then it turns out the only reason she's doing that is because some of her other clients are interested in the property owned by the strip club owner it has nothing to do with the stripper it's all other intentions and Jessica Jones, I can't remember the comment, but it's something like, oh, you almost had me believing you were a good person. So right off the bat, we get that this show is full of people that society wouldn't necessarily consider, like, good people. I think it's really interesting because you get very, very different women that are portrayed. They're very different characters, but the thing that they share in common is they aren't typical characters women portray. They are really dynamic and they aren't necessarily nice or doing things out of the kindness of their heart. They're kind of following what's been kind of exclusive to a male archetype. And now it's in this show, it's inhabited by women. Yeah, nobody would bat an eye if there was a dude who... Dude detective walking in without an appointment or a, a lawyer that had other intentions. And I think we kind of get that. Yeah, so even just from seeing Jerry... Just in the way she dresses, the way she carries herself, mm-hmm. she just, you can tell she's powerful. Like, mm-hmm. just looking at her, you can tell she's powerful. And the way, and she's, you know, she's not taking any crap from Jessica. She doesn't want to take any crap from anybody else either. And I get the feeling from this initial meeting, she's not doing anything that doesn't benefit her. Oh, absolutely. And if it does, if it is the nice thing, you can bet that it's somehow serving her interests. 
there's something else going on. Yeah. Yeah. Even if we don't know it yet. So what would you call that? Like on the scale, like chaotic, neutral, like like orderly (laughs) evil or something like that. I can't remember what it is. What the chaotic good? I would say where you like she is representing the 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 poor brain damaged dancer, Mm -hmm. but you know, so she's doing something good. I don't know. She's maybe not a true chaotic neutral. Um, her methods of getting that good thing accomplished are maybe not completely good, but... Right. Something good's happening, but it wasn't necessarily the goal. Right, exactly. <laughs> so we get to see Jessica's methods in the next scene because she is sitting on the toilet researching the receptionist or the secretary of the guy that she's supposed to serve the papers to she calls her up and pretends to be another like secretary, a, but a sorority sister. Yeah, that they they were on the color guard together or something like that, and gets this information about where this guy is going to be. Mm-hmm. It's and, go ahead, and it's it's amazing how quickly the other receptionist wants to believe that, and she wants to. Oh, like I know this person. I'm so excited. Mm-hmm. How can I help you? And Jessica uses that to her own advantage, which is probably just the first time of many we see her, you know, using people, u- using people, or using her powers to her own ends. Mm-hmm. And it also tied back to Veronica Mars for me because Veronica Mars, I think, literally does something similar in the first episode. She pretends to be a girl or kind of a ditzy girl or something to get information, to extract information from somebody for a case. I can't remember. Something like that happens, though. She does that a lot. Whether it happens in the pilot, I can't remember, but I wouldn't doubt it. It's either in the pilot or the second episode, because I just rewatched them. Yes, and there's a, a shot that comes up really soon after this that I just really loved where she goes to bed, because it's night. And oh, yeah, she, like, goes through the motions of, like, getting ready for bed. And she gets into bed, but the shot is filmed oh, where... Yeah, the sideways shot. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. sideways. So instead of her laying down, it's like the bed is standing up on its side, and yeah. she's standing up. And when you are having anxiety and you can't sleep, that is, I mean, that's kind of how it feels. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, yeah, I'm on this bed, but it's not, I'm not in a rest. sleep way absolutely i thought that was really intuitive of the next scene basically because she can't go to sleep she gets up and she goes to goes to stake out another person you don't really know why she's there what she's doing you assume it's a case i think from the tv show standpoint and this is another glimpse we get of her powers i was watching this with somebody and it was the first time that they asked me so she's a normal person right (laughs) because she's standing on the ground and she jumps like one or two stories up the fire escape. Which it's done so seamless and so well that I missed that rewatching oh, it wow. twice. Because Laura told me that. I was like, wait, what? I just watched that. This is her spot, it kind of seems like. And this is where she sits and she's watching people through their windows and taking pictures. And, and We also get a glimpse into how judgmental she is. Yeah. Like... There is a judgment for every single person. Like the woman working out that goes to eat the quarter pounder. It's like, oh yeah, good job there. And then there's the judgment on the guy like sniffing women's shoes. It's like she has everyone's number. She has everyone sized up and her judgment's made before she 
knows the person or anything. That's part of being a PI. Also, you, that kind of lends itself to her cynicism. She focuses down on the bar that's on the corner and the owner closing up for the night and walking out with a very attractive woman. And they go to his apartment. He lives above the bar. And, and then... you don't know why she's watching him, but you know that's her intended target. Like, that's who she's watching. But you don't know what it is. When you see that the woman and the guy are clearly romantically involved, you think, okay, this is another, like, love tryst gone wrong or something like that. But that's also when we get the first introduction of what... Because you know something happened to this this woman. You can tell she's not well-adjusted. Oh, yeah. And this is the first time that you really get a sense of that vulnerability of whatever happened. I can't remember what exactly happens on the stairwell. I don't remember what sets her off, but she starts having a panic attack, basically. Because it's... Well, it's the purple man. Yeah. And he says something to her. It's, it's a memory... And, but it's, it's like he's there. You want to do it, you know you do. That's the voice that comes back into her head, mm-hmm. and that's what it says. So yeah, you see her start struggling with that, start having a panic attack, and she starts listing names of streets. And it's our first glimpse of, and I haven't gotten very far into the show yet, um, so I don't know how they use this in the future, but I really liked how they used color in that, because mm-hmm. I, you know, having read the comics, I know that he's the purple man. And so to me, when they kind of, the, the tone of the scene sort of shifts to that purple color palette, I know exactly like who they're alluding to there. Mm-hmm. Abs- no, you, you're right on. You're right on the money about that. Because they do, it's that neon purple kind of, it, like you said, it changes the tonality of the, of the picture. Which is in deep contrast to the blacks and grays that most of the show is filmed mm-hmm. in. And then when she starts to come out of it, when she starts to, you know, she says the street names and she starts to sort of feel better, then it shifts back and, and mm-hmm. it's not in the purple anymore. Yeah, she's not in that mindset anymore. And it's, it's also, yeah, it's a really interesting way of portraying PTSD, mental illness, anxiety. You know, it's... I like that they've given it a, a certain look mm-hmm. because I, I feel like, you know, when you're in that kind of state, the world doesn't look right. And so right. It, it it not only signals to us, the audience, what she's going through, but it also indicates that something is very wrong. Mm-hmm. It makes it more visceral. It makes it easier to understand. Absolutely. We also had a sign that she has substance abuse because when she's going for the stakeout, she fills a thermos full of whiskey mm-hmm. and takes that with her. And that's all the food and beverage that she takes with her for the night. Yeah. Is the next scene she's passed out on the bed, right? Yes. Yeah, because we start getting kind of a sense of what the nightly routine might be. Is I can't sleep. I drink myself till I pass out. And so she wakes up because she knows that somebody's in her apartment. She walks out to find Malcolm in her kitchen eating her peanut butter. <laughs> I love that. And she says, what are you doing in my apartment? And he says... No, she, he says that. Oh, he says, what are you doing in my apartment? She says, this is my apartment. And he goes, oh, that's why it's not crunchy. Because he's eating peanut butter <laughs> on a spatula. And I think, I don't know if it's, is it there... Or is it later where she's waking up and we see her grab her phone and she pulls on the cord and the cord wasn't plugged in. So her phone wasn't plugged in the entire night. And I just had this like, yep, been there. Mm -hmm. I I know that feeling. (laughs) Like that just felt like such a 
real moment to me, like something everybody's gone through. You thought your phone was charging and it wasn't. Um, shit. Yeah, exactly. And you realize, like, okay, now my phone is almost dead and it's the start of the day. Like, it's it's just, it sets the tone for her day. It sets the tone, yeah. And what's so funny is the day that I rewatched this on Friday, the exact same thing happened to me. My phone didn't charge all night, woke up to 1%. Ugh. Like, oh, this sucks. Oh, yeah, and that, that's, it's always, yeah, it, happening in real life, it sets the tone for your day, too, because you're like, ugh, like, I'm not even starting out at 100%. It's like this thing that I was counting on to work failed. It just feels like a, like a metaphor, you know? You're, Wrong side of the bed. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we also had a scene, and I can't remember if it's when she woke up or when she was trying to go to sleep, where the people above her are being really noisy, and she picks up one of her boots and throws it. And, like, some of the plaster falls off. And you see, like, heel prints in the ceiling where she's done this so many times. Yeah, and it's another hint to us about her powers. And, like, I think you mentioned that you you missed it when she jumped onto the, yeah. the fire escape. So I think they're giving us these little hints because it, it is easy to miss that. And I think that anybody who's been to New York, you see her throw her boot at the wall or the ceiling. And you might just think, like, ah, she lives in a crappy apartment. Yeah. Like, instead of thinking... Oh, she's super strong. Yeah. Um, so I think that, you know, you could, depending on how you watch it, I think you could take it either way. But that's, that's I think, why they keep giving us these little hints so that you kind of realize she's not just an everyday, ordinary PI. No, and it's funny that you say it like that because I kind of went into it watching with the intention of watching it with someone that doesn't have the history or the backstory of the Marvel Universe, of the character. So I was purposely seeing where sometimes I could miss things. The stairwell happened. That was not on purpose. That was totally, that just happened to me. This time was one because when she hit it and the plaster falls, because you don't see the ceiling right away. So she throws the boot up and it hits and the plaster falls. And I'm like, oh yeah, she was super pissed because she had already hit it once before the ceiling because they were being noisy. So this was the second time. And so she's just like, fuck that. And she throws the boot. And so I'm like, oh, well, someone that's really angry, that could be something that could happen. Absolutely. Then you pan up and you say, oh, this has happened a few times. And it's not just a little bit of plaster. It's, it's not just lot. like <laughs> a little bump. It's like there's a lot and it is raining down on her in bed. Yes, that's great for her lungs. <laughs> <laughs> Especially in a very old New York apartment building that I'm sure has all sorts of Fun things. No asbestos whatsoever. None at all. None. Yeah, totally safe. Up to code. <laughs> so as she is escorting Malcolm out of her apartment. Who just, you know, round of applause for Malcolm. I love this character. I'm not going to give it any away, but I love this character's growth because he turned, his transformation from season one to season two is really cool. But that's all I'm saying. No, I, I love him too. And he's such a good soul. And you know, you can see it because... You can see on his arms, he has the track marks. You know he is not well. He's obviously an addict. He's in someone else's apartment. That, And this is not the first time he's done it. Yeah. Because she is not behaving as if this is the first time he's done this. So she opens her door, and there is this couple mm-hmm. there. They tried to call her, but her phone was dead, so they couldn't get a hold of her, and they just showed up. They're there to hire her to find their daughter, She's missing. They've been to the police. The police say that there's nothing that they can do. But she's not necessarily missing. She just stopped going to school. She moved out of her apartment. She's holed up with some guy. They don't know the guy thing at this point. But they just know that she's basically stopped her usual routine. 
and they are concerned. Jessica was recommended to them by somebody at the police department. So yes, she's not missing in the traditional sense, but she has kind of dropped out of her life and dropped out of everything. She's behaving unusually. And there's a really interesting interaction here because her dad never sits down. He's really concerned about the door and about Jessica being there on her own with a door that doesn't lock. Mm -hmm. And he keeps trying to ask her if she has these things that he can fix the door. And his wife is really frustrated with him saying, no, she doesn't have a leveler. No, forget about the door. What do y'all think? Does that have some sort of symbolic meaning or something? I think it's such a dad thing to do. So his daughter is missing and he doesn't have a child to dote on at this particular moment. And he's like channeling his dad energies into the person that's here. And that's Jessica. And Jessica has something that clearly needs to be fixed and something he can help with. And his dad, like, I don't know, his dad radar turns on and just like, here's something I can do. And it helps me to avoid having to talk about this really uncomfortable situation that's going on that my daughter's missing. And I don't want to deal with that. So instead, I'm going to deal with trying to help Jessica, which Jessica does not seem all that concerned about the door. Her door is missing a window. It doesn't lock. There are neighbors breaking in basically and she just doesn't seem that concerned about it watching the dad it made me really my heart hurt for the character because this is, there's a couple things going on here because men typically want to find solutions they want to fix it he's clearly in a situation he can't fix he has no control over it this also plays into how men experience shame because men experience shame very different from women, and it has all to do with strength. He has no power in the situation. Fixing the door is literally, like you were saying, his coping. We see a couple different things coming into play. It's like the mom is fully in it. Like she's, she's experiencing the grief. You can see it. She's fully in her feelings, <laughs> that will say. She keeps telling us, like, don't worry about the door. But he's focused on the door because the door is what's keeping him from admitting he's powerless and then i think the glue that jessica hands him is just even more symbolic because he asks if she has what epoxy i think epoxy yeah do you have any epoxy i could make it work or it would be glue. temporary yeah or wood glue it, he tells her i think it would be temporary but it would work for now and she hands him a container of elmer's glue which is not I mean, that's not going to fix the door. And he even says, like, no, that, that won't work. And so I think even the solution that he's found to temporarily fix the problem isn't going to do the trick. So it's, you know, everything he's trying is failing. Because when women are experiencing stress or a situation like this, there's a there's a saying, and I love it. It's always like you can always tell you a woman how strong a woman is when she's put into hot water. She's like a tea bag. That's what this is. It's like the mom is sitting down. She's like, okay, what do we need to do? What do we need to do? Jessica's just kind of there with her. The dad is kind of is in his own way, dealing with it in his own way. And she, it's almost pacifying when she gives him the, the glue. It's like, here. Like, you can see she almost has a look of, it's almost empathy. Because, and it's the first time you really see that from her. Because I noticed she was really gentle with the parents. Absolutely, She yeah. was very gentle, very soft with them. Softer than she has been with anybody, which plays into something else in the season that comes up. 
So, but she just, you can tell she just has a little bit more compassion for these people. And so to me, it's like when she's giving him the glue, it's almost her way of kind of empathizing in a way. I can't really help, but maybe this will do the trick. It's like, will this, will this make you feel better? Here, this is, mm, it's, yeah, it does feel kind of pacifying, but I don't get it like in a patronizing way. Oh yeah, no, it, it never feels patronizing to me at all. She's um, just like, I know this sucks. I don't know how to tell you to deal with this. Will this make it better? Yeah, and it's all she has. Like yep. she doesn't have any of the tools that he's looking for because she's not concerned. Yeah, she doesn't, she's she doesn't really care. Yeah, because she knows she can handle herself. Mm-hmm. So she goes to talk to Hope's former best friend and roommate, who now has a new roommate that is making a year-long video of himself. He's an experimental filmmaker. With a GoPro on his head. So, yeah, I mean, cool idea, but also if someone says don't shoot me, maybe go to the other room. Maybe, maybe you're not involved in this conversation. But yeah, it's just kind of a funny little exchange, and you could tell the roommate is not happy that the other that Hope left, and that she st- saddled with this guy. It's just kind of a funny interaction, to, and it also shows Jessica again how her how little she tolerates bullshit. Yeah, she told him that if he turned the camera on again, she'd pull his underwear through his eye. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, so specific. I like that. Like it's it's not just. You'll, you'll regret it, you know, it's, I'm gonna, this is a very specific thing that I will do to you. It's like, have you done this before? <laughs> I feel like you have experience. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's maybe too specific. <laughs> maybe she has done this before, who knows? And we also get another hint of her powers. She breaks into their apartment. She mm-hmm. literally breaks the door handle because it's locked and she, you hear it like snap and she comes in and she says, oh, the door was open or, or whatever excuse that she makes. <laughs> and then as she's leaving, you hear something fall. You hear something hit the floor. And I think that's their realization of like, okay, well, now our door handle's broken. It's a very realistic way to portray someone who's gifted. It's like, what would it be like on a daily basis to have super strength? Well, you could open almost any door you want. Yeah, I mean, would you be an Avenger? Would you try to save the world? Or would you just open jars and jump to fire escapes, like, how do you use your powers? And mm-hmm. I, I think that it's not really something we've seen before, at least not from the MCU. We see the the Spider-Mans of the world. We see the, the Iron Mans of the world. You know, they're either trying to save the world on a broad scale or they're just taking care of their neighborhood, mm-hmm. like in Spider-Man's case, sort of, most of the time. <laughs> well, when they first introduce him. Yeah. She's not concerned about any of that. She's not trying to save the world. She's not trying to be an Avenger. She's not trying to hide either, but no. she's not, you know, she's not a masked vigilante. She's not, yeah, she's just using her powers to suit her own needs. Mm-hmm. So what in whatever way is convenient to her. And yeah. it's, it's definitely not something we've seen from the MCU anywhere else. Yeah, and so we find out from Hope's best friend that there is a guy. Jessica says, oh, so there is a guy, and her friend says, of course there's a guy. Why else would your best friend crap on you? It just made my heart hurt because it's like, yeah, it's true. There are so many people that when they get a significant other, it's... Well, okay, let's, let's, let's establish that when you first start dating someone, that happens. Anybody does that. The best friend still will ghost you because when you're first in a relationship, that is your world. 
Yeah. It just, it happens and you have to accept it because it is just the way how it works. It is like you get infatuated with someone and that's all you want to, that's the only person you want to be with. You want, don't really want to spend time with them. And that lasts for about 90 days and then things start lightening up typically. I'm very curious to, I don't, at least at this point, we don't know the timeline. So how new is this? The best friend just sort of is like, okay, well, she's kind of gone now. Mm -hmm. But in a typical relationship, obviously what she's got going on is not a typical relationship, Mm -hmm. as we learn. But would she have started to, you know, kind of come back and be more present with her friend, with her roommate, going to school, participating in track? Would she have come back to her normal life or would she not have? Mm -hmm. Like, based on what we know about her, she was... A good kid she ran track and was obsessed with track everything was track and so for her to become focused on something else is definitely out of character for mm-hmm. her yeah because oh did we not get the timeline i thought the parents said i don't remember we do find out that it's only been a month okay so she would still be within that infatuation, 90-day infatuation <laughs> window but, but still to drop out of school yeah that's 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 different. That's very she, out of character for she her. Told that's, her. That's unhealthy. She told her roommate to sell all her stuff. Yeah, which that's also, that's not normal. Like, within a first month, for somebody to be like, I am so invested in this relationship, I am selling everything I own, and making my roommate deal with it, like, mm-hmm. I would be concerned. Like, that is not normal behavior. And there was still a box of her stuff in the new roommate's closet. So from this, Jessica is able to get a credit card statement and find out that Hope has been charging a lot of things. So she calls her parents to find out about this, and the parents are like, no, that was an emergency card. She's never used it. Well, now she has to buy a lot of really expensive lingerie and some men's suits. Dinner. Yeah. Very expensive dinners. She, again, has trouble going to sleep. So we find her again on the stairwell watching this dude from this bar, right? And then she goes down, and she's, like, looking into the bar. And then he's outside taking out the trash. And he has, oh, my gosh, this guy, like, you can just tell. You know exactly what kind of character he's supposed to be when, when he starts talking. Like, take it away. He's also gorgeous. Yeah, he's oh, super yeah. gorgeous. Like, you know... Super ripped. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Do we even n- learn his name? No. I think we might learn his first name. In this episode? I don't think so. I didn't write it down. Yeah, I don't think it... I don't think we did. Maybe I only knew that because of... Because I knew who the character was from the mm-hmm. comic books. Well, and it's like I said, this, this episode is full of spoilers. And we can get in depth on, in depth on every aspect of the plot. We can reveal the identity of this gorgeous, hunky bar owner to be the one Luke Cage, who, of course, has his own role and TV show within the Marvel Universe. He comes out and he tells her that she could be drinking inside and she says that her whiskey is not good enough for a glass. Or she buys in bulk. Yeah. (laughs) And he tells her, oh, well, she's in luck because it's ladies' night. And they've got kind of this flirty, flirty thing going on. And she comes in... To drink at the bar. I love her reaction to him saying it's ladies night. She mm-hmm. looks in the window and she goes, no, it's not. No, it's not. I think she like, she she turned her PI skills on. Yeah. Not that it would take a lot to figure it out. And she's like, there are probably no ladies in here. Yeah. 
and so, oh, go ahead. that leads to the flirty, flirty, like, yeah. you know, that I don't you're, flirt, I say what I want. You're hot, you're alone, and I don't remember what all he said. It's good for business. It's good for business. Oh, for yeah. For her to be in there drinking by herself. So it's ladies' night now. <laughs> so it could be flirting, or it could just be a good business move. Both. I mean, both is good. Yeah. So, yeah, they go in and they have their little back and forth and, you know, who's the smartest one in the room? Because it's this power, it's this power grass, but it's like all fun and kind of playful. It's, and it ends with them having some really hot sex. Yeah. yeah. They are going at it. For a while. And, and he, she also says, it's okay, I won't break. And he's like, yeah, you will. I love that. So we're like, neither one of them knows. I know. It's just like, (laughs) oh, nobody knows. Yay, it's so cute. But also we see again how her avoidance of relationships and people, because she literally turns around because there's too much eye contact. Oh, I hadn't thought about that was why she turned around, but Oh yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. That'd be vulnerable. This is purely mm-hmm. animal. We're just going after this. Yeah. This is business. Especially knowing what we know after the sex is finished, she just takes off. Yeah. Well she hops up and goes into the bathroom. And is kind of trying to collect herself and starts going through his medicine cabinet. Well, she's looking for <laughs> prescription drugs. And she finds a picture in there of a woman. Mm-hmm. And it really rattles her. And she, yeah, she just takes off. I had a lot of thoughts about this scene. I rewatched it several times. Because the whole time as we've gone through the episode, it has been her numbing, her escaping. So it's. I can't sleep. I can't deal with these thoughts. I'm going to go do work. I'm going to drink myself until I pass out. I'm going to look prescription drugs. I am going to have sex with whoever. It doesn't matter. There's always, she's always trying to run from the trigger. She's trying to run, run from the trauma, but it doesn't matter what she does. It's still there. And then I think when she finds that picture, because of the way it's hidden and because of the Um, observations she made in the bar about what kind of person he is she knows that this means a lot she knows that this is really important because of where it is and how private he is so she knows that he's probably dealing with something too and her trauma is still there it's a very specific place to Mm -hmm. put a picture in your medicine cabinet kind of behind some bottles it's very personal it's very private it's not a normal place to put a picture Mm -hmm. But it's a place where it's, it feels like it's just his. Yep. It's just his. Exactly. And so it's kind of like he's carrying something too. It's like they both have damage. They both have baggage. And so when she leaves and she's like, sorry, I feel like there's so much happening in that, in that sorry. It's not just like, sorry, I'm taking off, but it's like kind of sorry, you're, you're going through this too. We also missed the part before this is when she serves the guy with the papers. Oh, yes. Now that, yeah, that's a break in all this inten- intensity. Because <laughs> this is just fun. Because this guy's a douche and he gets his ass handed to him and it's wonderfully validating. This is, too, when we finally see her powers. Because... Yeah. More we, than just a hint. Yeah. There's like full on, like... In case you missed all those other hints, here it is for you. Here I am picking up a car. Yeah, she literally lifts up the back of his car so he can't drive away. But not over her head. <laughs> right. With her laser eyes. Yeah. <laughs> He's freaking out. One thing that I had to remember too was that when this came out, it was kind of in that time in the Marvel universe where people were 
there were the superheroes, but they'd all kind of been... When when did the Avengers movie come out? 2012? 2012, yeah. Okay. So, yeah, it wasn't long in the world where these supers were just kind of out and about but in everyday life. Gifted. Yeah. Gifted. Yes. In this in this series. It's yes. Gifted. We can't call them mutants. Mutants or superheroes, it's gifted. Because before that, I think everybody was yeah, you had your Iron Man's and things like that, but it was just a few here and there, and now they're just kind of in the world with everybody else and you could actually run into one on the street. Mm-hmm. So that's why he's so scared because he doesn't know it hasn't been too long that this has been happening in the world mm-hmm. and what can she do and there's also some i get the feeling there's some underlying kind of bigotry like towards gifted people mm-hmm. like because he's scared of them that's that's absolutely why it is because he doesn't know what she's capable of so he's choosing to channel that into bigotry. And mm-hmm. instead of learning about her, which obviously he's not going to do in this situation, but he, you know, he's scared of her, so he turns it against her. Mm-hmm. And like, you are, you must be a bad person. Well, we clearly know what he thinks of women. Oh, yeah. Because like, she asks for directions and he calls her a moron. And the fact that he obviously doesn't take care of the women working for him. Or the, you know, areas they... Says that the dancer was that stupid all along. Yeah. Yeah, like... So it's like, it's clear that she has a couple notches against her in his book. So she tells him that she can melt his insides with her laser eyes and that it won't show and gets him to take the papers that she's trying to serve. Yeah, So and she lets Jerry know. All went down. And then Jerry's like, yeah, we got a call from a lawyer saying you tried to... Or that you lifted his car over, over your head, head and threatened to melt his insides with your laser eyes. And Jessica just kind of laughs it off, right? Like, well, again, and this is so funny about switching like characters because you may see this with in like past kind of shows like this. See a man going, yeah, of course that's what I said. How can you believe her? But then she's like, yeah, I told him I'd melt him with my laser eyes. Right. Yeah. Uh-huh. uh-huh. And it's like, it's that, it's, kind of the who are you going to believe him or me sort of thing but it's totally changed and it, i i enjoyed that it definitely flips it on its head mm-hmm. and i love that she just straight up lies about her powers because mm-hmm. he doesn't know what she's capable of so she uses that again to her advantage she uses and, his bigotry to her to advantage. her advantage yeah <laughs> because she knows that he is holding her powers against her and she also knows that he doesn't know what those powers are so who knows what she's capable of? Maybe yeah. she can melt somebody's insides with her laser eyes, mm-hmm. especially as these people are starting to appear in the wood, you know, out of the woodworks in that world, and there's still not that many of them. Like who knows what she can do? It's yeah. still all pretty new. The phone call happens with Jerry, and this is when we see on Jerry's end that her and Pam, her receptionist, are having a little tête-à-tête. There's some romance happening. Romance. I, I'm like, romance. <laughs> but yes, there's a, there's a romantic relationship there, which will be important later on in the episode. So we've also been getting hints about Trish. We've seen her on a bus. She's on a billboard, a bench. Yeah. And we will come back to her. Yeah. We keep following her. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because now we're at the restaurant. So she's tracking Hope's card. She's tracking this charge to this restaurant. 
and mm-hmm. you tell it you can tell when she gets to the restaurant she knows the location yeah so she walks in and the the maitre d says we're not open yet do you want a reservation and she goes no did this used to be and she says the name of the restaurant and he says yes and she shows him a picture of hope and says was this girl here he said well you know you need to talk to my manager i can't talk to you about that and he's very clearly upset come to find out that she was there with a guy who requested a table in the back and so the maitre d just went back and told the people who were sitting there that they had to leave the guy got a 500 dollars bottle of wine comp to him he wanted a certain thing that used to be served at the restaurant it was before. He so wanted a classic Italian pasta dish at a Japanese restaurant, I believe. Yeah. The chef so, found out the recipe. Hunted it down so he could make it for him. And it's like all of these facts start coming up because you can tell she hasn't got it yet. But then as it starts happening, you start seeing the revelation she's having. She's starting to slowly realize what this means. And that leads to a flashback of her in the same restaurant when it was the Italian restaurant. I can't remember the name. Sitting there with a guy who says, this is our one month anniversary. You will love it. And we get more of that, the PTSD, the purple coloring. The comes back. And we can tell, like, it's, it's a flashback. It's, you know, she's back in that PTSD briefly. Mm-hmm. And in the flashback, he tells her to smile. Yes. She, yeah, she freaks out, she runs out, she is in her apartment packing, she calls Hope's parents, she tells them to just get out. Just leave, go back to Omaha. She tries to charge a ticket on, an, uh, a plane ticket on Hope's credit card, it's declined, so she goes to the last person that she can turn to. The person we've seen hints of all throughout the show, Trish. She climbs up her balcony. Trish is with people, sees Jessica, quickly gets them out of the apartment. You can tell she's important. You don't know exactly, well, I mean, you know kind of what she does. You know she's a celebrity. You know she's in the public eye. She has some kind of show. And she has people there talking about her show. She gets them out, opens the door. You don't. You still don't quite know the relationship. So she's talking to Jessica, and Jessica says, I need money. Of course you do. You know, this is not the first time she's asked for money. And she says, you don't return my calls. I haven't heard from you in six months. I know things have been bad, but you just cut me out. Finally, Jessica tells her that he's back. And Trish says, he can't be. You saw him die. You saw the death certificate. And Jessica says, but he is. Like, and she goes through, he's doing everything he did with me. It's the hotel, or the lingerie, the restaurants, and and Trish says, the hotel. Jessica says that she has to get away, and Trish says... Again, escaping. Right. This is a huge theme throughout the episode, escaping, trying to get away from it. Trish said, that, but you're the person most qualified to deal with him. Jessica says that she couldn't be the hero that Trish wanted her to be, and Trish said, but you're the person who tried to do something, and Jessica said that she tried and failed. Trish gives her the money, mm-hmm. and she's in a cab, she's going to get out, and she can't do it. So she goes to the hotel, the hotel that she remembers, because as she's walking down the hallway, she has the flashes again of Uh the memories, pulls the fire alarm, all the people run out, and she kicks down the door to this hotel room and finds Hope in the bed. 
looks like she's tied down, she but she's not. Dead. Well, she looks dead at first. You think yeah. she's dead, but then you can see her breathing, blinking. But not really moving. Not yeah, other moving. than that. Like, mm-hmm. completely still. Yeah, her makeup's kind of all smeared. We find out she hasn't moved in five hours and 21 minutes. Yeah, because she's looking at the clock. You can tell she's probably been in that position a long time, watching the clock, watching how many hours she's been on this bed. And Jessica said, he told you not to move. And she says, yes. She literally has to throw her over her shoulders. She can't even do it like a potato sack. She has to hold her like one of those things that they use to carry water on both sides. (laughs) Yeah, because this girl is flailing like her life depends on it. She is like... Knocking over lamps, grabbing on like uh, door door jams. Crawling to get back to this bed because this guy... And this is when you fully understand what this guy can do. He told her not to move, and she is fighting within an inch of her life to not leave that bed. To the point where she wet the bed. Yeah. Like, she was trying so hard to follow his instructions, she wouldn't even get up out of bed to go to the bathroom. Mm -hmm. And yeah, Jessica takes her back to her place and kind of, coaches her through this telling her it's Mm -hmm. not her fault helping her with the street names work through this anxiety she does say it's not my fault Mm -hmm. and that's when her parents walk in to take her home and she tells them drive don't stop till you get to omaha just go just get out and talking about the control this guy has on her and she's like it will release over time and distance like it will fade away So she gets in, they're in the elevator, they're going down, and just before the elevator door closes, we see Hope pull a gun out of her bag. And we hear the gunshots. Jessica tries to get to the door of the elevator, and she can't get there in time. She opens it, but she can literally hear the screams and the gunfire as the elevator is headed down. The elevator door opens, Jessica's run down the stairs, the parents are both dead, And Hope turns to Jessica and says, smile. Yeah. And then she drops the gun and, like, comes out of whatever trance she was kind of in and sees what she's done and starts screaming. Because he released her. He wanted her to see that. Mm -hmm. Jessica, immediately, the reaction is, turn around. Well, I mean, it's anybody would do this in, in this situation. She is so traumatized. She is so unbelievably overwhelmed with what she's seen. She turns around and starts to walk out. And she walks out of the apartment complex. She walks out to the street, gets to the cab. And this is the moment, because she's made, this is two times that she's made this decision that she's not going to escape. And so this is the second time. And she has a really great line, and Laura has it written down. The voiceover says, knowing it's real means you have to make a decision. Do you keep denying it, or do you do something about it? So at this moment, you see that she's made the choice. She turns around. She goes back in. So clearly, with this pilot, we are seeing that this is a woman that has tried to escape what happened to her. She's trying to escape her trauma. But this is the moment that she decides that she's not going to try to escape anymore, that she has to look into the dark corner that she doesn't want to, and she has to face what's going on. Yes, (laughs) <laughs> that was great. Oh, okay. I, I don't. I don't know what else to like. How do you follow that? Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for enjoying this episode of Fatal Femmes. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> that episode ending there 
just makes you want to know what happens next. Mm -hmm. It it definitely reels you in. You want to know what's going on. Yeah, it makes me want to know more about Kilgrave because we don't even we don't the only reason I know his name is from the comics. Yeah. So we don't know at this point who he is. We don't quite understand his powers. We know that he uses them to control people, but we don't exactly know what he can do. One other thing that we forgot to mention, and it's it's such a small thing, you wouldn't know it unless you know to look for it, but they mention that it wasn't an officer at the police station that recommended well, Jessica is, to them. This is what clues her in on how it's Kilgrave is because she has that revelation in the restaurant. And you're right, we did totally skip over this. And she asked the parents, who told you? Was it a police officer? And they're like, no, it was a guy. Really nice guy, English accent. That's when the full realization happens. And she's like, get out now. Oh, um, just, I, I have some notes here about who Kilgrave is as a character in the comics to, yeah. to compare. Let's no, let's talk about him a little bit because yeah, we don't know if you didn't look up his name beforehand or know anything about the show, you wouldn't know his name. He just is this creepy dude that shows up in her yeah, PTS we don't, triggers. We don't see his face even. Mm-hmm. We hear his voice. We see kind of like profiles. outlines. Yeah, we see profiles. He licks her in one of her oh, dreams. That's right. Laura's real bothered by so the gross. Oh, the licking. Yeah, it's pretty gross. He was originally a villain for Daredevil. Mm. And then in Makes the sense. more recent years, he started to emerge as Jessica's arch nemesis. I can't remember if we already talked about, um, I know we talked about he, he controls people, but more specifically, he likes to control superpowered people because that gives him more power. So he, in the comics at one point, controls Captain Marvel. He controls Carol Danvers. Because that makes him really powerful because he can get Carol Danvers to do whatever he wants, to do his bidding. He controls Jessica's daughter at one point in the comics because he knows that she's not going to hurt her. He won't, she won't hurt her own daughter. So he's safe and he, he can hopefully get her to do what he wants to do. Do they ever say in the series where his powers come from? I believe there's a little bit of an origin story. I cannot remember it off the top of my head. They do get into some of it. Yeah, because um, you go into his backstory a little bit in the end of season one. I can't remember it. <laughs> well, I don't, yeah, I don't know a lot about his backstory, but it's in the comic books, it's like a pheromone that he emits. And mm. so when people are close to him, they like breathe in the pheromone and that is what allows him to control their minds. And it it seems a little too comic booky for them to actually write that into the show. Um, so I wasn't sure if they ever explained how his powers work. They do. I can't remember exactly how they explain it. I feel like that's not far off, though. Yeah. Yeah, it's something like that. There's We're big Doctor Who fans, and, of course, David Tennant, who plays Kilgrave, was the 10th Doctor, and there's a line in there where... About companions? Well, no, where oh. they something happened to him when he was 10 years old, and she says, well, you're not 10 anymore, and he was the 10th Doctor. Uh, uh, well, I just thought it was funny because they talk about Kilgrave's companions within this, and that's what Doctor Who's sidekicks are always called, his companion. I'm like, I don't know if they did this on purpose, but thank you from the nerddom. Thank you. Yeah. And I didn't even know, since we don't even see him, like, I didn't even know. Like, I had to look it up because I was like, is that? I thought I read somewhere that was David Tennant. So Mm -hmm. since we don't actually really see him in that first episode, I had to look up to confirm, like, 
Yes, that is indeed David Tennant <laughs> licking Jessica's face. Yeah, that is indeed the sinister profile licking right. the exactly. <laughs> So we've got to the end of the episode. We've talked about Kelgrave a little bit. Over, and we kind of talked a little bit at the beginning about overall impressions. Like, is there anything after discussing this initial pilot that bears mentioning that really stood out to you? Did we already mention that season three was completely directed by women? We haven't yet. So this, that was something important to the show. They had a lot of female writers on it. Obviously, there's a lot of female characters that play characters that are usually played by men. I even think that some of the characters were changed from men to women for the show, which I'm perfectly fine with. In season two, they had a lot of female directors, but season three was completely directed by women. Yes. And that's something that is established in the pilot because we have an episode written by a woman and directed by a woman. And also, if you look at the cast list, there is one white cis male. Think about that. That's David Tennant. Besides, and I'm talking about like leading characters that are seen throughout the series. Otherwise, it is completely led by women and people of color because Malcolm is a person of color, Luke Cage is a person of color, and then the rest are women. Yeah. And as I was looking at the cast list yesterday, I was so struck by that, that that is not typical. Even a lot of the minor characters that are just like, you know, the roommate's new roommate Mm -hmm. and stuff like that are... Oh, yeah. They were both um, non-white actors. Yeah. Yeah, and I think you see that. And for 2015, which really was at the kind of the, the... dawning of where we're at now in our consciousness when we consider when we're looking at representation in our media and really kind of before that conversation really started we see that in jessica jones so that's really commendable especially considering where it kind of fell in the time frame for that and i think like you're saying like the 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 new room the roommate the roommate's new roommate and like the deeper you get the, the more you realize just like how thoughtful they were about that because sometimes you see something that on the surface you're like oh they're you know they cast a a couple of people of color or you know but then once you get past the surface there's not a lot and to be able to dig that deep and it gets even better Mm -hmm. is definitely noteworthy and that was before we had um wonder woman directed by patty jenkins and Mm -hmm. you know that that was before that and now um Captain Marvel was a, a two-person team, and one of the directors was a woman. And so this was that predates all of this. Well, even looking at the other defenders, if you, it's like Iron Fist had a lot of issues in this in this area, and as well as Daredevil, they weren't the representation wasn't as equal. Luke Cage was better at that too, but it's just funny to me that Jessica Jones kind of set a precedent, and no one's really said anything about it. Because, I mean, that was kind of setting the precedent before we knew that a precedent really needed to be set. Before it was in the mainstream consciousness. Yeah, well, and I think it's more inclusive than any of the Marvel movies, maybe except for Black Panther. Any of the movies predating Black Panther. Yeah, yeah absolutely, absolutely, yeah. Oh, yeah. The the earlier, you know, the Captain America and the first Iron Man, and none of that stuff is really yeah. inclusive. So yeah. it's cool to see, and it's it's so cool to me because the show was created by a woman. It's so cool to see that that was in the mindset going in in 2015, like I said, before this really started 
And I hate to say the word trend, but before people started paying attention to it. Because people only started paying attention to it when they started getting called out for it. And I think that kind of mirrors what Marvel has been doing more on the comic book side, because their comic books have started to get a lot more inclusive. The MCU as a whole is not quite there. It's moving that direction, but it, it's still, you know, it's still got some catching up to do. But you have, you look at the comic books and you have Kamala Khan, who is a 16-year-old Muslim girl. You have Miles Morales, Spider-Man, yes. who is a Latino black kid, who is Spider-Man. He gets to be Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. And like, you have um, America Chavez, who is an LGBT Latina, who punches star-shaped holes into the universe. Like, she is so cool. And that's like, for me... That's where I started to really get invested in comic books was when I started to see these characters that weren't white men and they were like doing these really amazing, really interesting things. That's where I really started to get into comic books because not that necessarily I was seeing more characters like myself, but more characters like the people I know and the world that's around me. And Mm -hmm. it's not just all the rich playboy, like billionaire who has lots of money to invest in tech, like we're we're actually seeing the world that is around us. Absolutely. I think it's, what's the word I'm looking for? Attractive. I think that's attractive for a couple reasons. And one is you have kids growing up that are seeing themselves represented in comics, in media, and all of that, which is so hard. Or as a, as a teaching artist, like, and seeing the effect that this has on kids, I love seeing that my kids can have representation. The other thing it does for white people, and I, that sounds weird saying it like that, but we have been used to the white narrative since the dawn of time. And the thing is, is when you start getting inclusive with your stories, you start getting more well-rounded, rich storytelling, not just from one narrative, which has been the cis white male, which white women benefit from. I have a, a good story to go along with that. Um, so you guys know Brian, my husband, is a t- middle school teacher. Who's that? No, I'm, just I'm sorry. <laughs> Who's that? Who's that? He has a student. Uh, so he teaches middle school. Um, he has a student that's, I don't know, maybe 13. And she is a Muslim girl. And she had never read Ms. Marvel. And he didn't even have the first volume. He handed her volume two. Because he was just kind of like, I think you'll really like this character. Just knowing the kid. And he said that she was reading it and just like smiling the whole time it wasn't even the first volume it wasn't even starting from the beginning but this was a kid who was seeing herself represented in a comic book for the first time in her life and she just had never seen that before and it just oh it just warmed his heart and yeah, it was just an amazing thing seeing a kid experience that. So validated in themselves, seeing themselves represented. Absolutely, yeah. And I want to give yeah. kudos to the um, guy who wrote the Alias and Jessica Jones comics. Because, you mean Brian Michael Bendis? Yes, thank the you. The guy. The guy. I couldn't remember <laughs> it. I'm so sorry. But I saw him at the Austin Film Festival a few years ago. He loved the show like any change that they made from the comics he was perfectly fine with he was like i think they're doing a great job he came in to the writer's room for them to ask him questions but that's he wasn't really involved other than that and he just was so complimentary to the people making the show 
and not once was like, oh yeah, well they took my work and blah blah blah. He just he was like, no, it's great. I love what they're doing. The ego wasn't tied up in it at all. It was just like the pure joy of creation. Yeah, love that. Applaud him for being open to people interpreting his work and making changes to it. Definitely. There was a story recently. There was a little boy, not very old, maybe like six or seven, (laughs) who was in the hospital and he'd been in, I think, a car accident. I think, I want to say, I don't remember the whole story, but I want to say he told like the doctors and nurses that he was going to be fine because he was Spider-Man. This was a little African-American boy. Somebody tweeted this and the story started to kind of go viral. And Brian Michael Bendis caught on to that. He is currently, or at least more recently, writing Miles Morales Spider-Man. And so he heard about this and said, private message me an address because I want to send him some comic books. And so he's mailing this little boy, Miles Morales Spider-Man, so that this boy can actually see a kid that looks like him as Spider-Man. Love that. It's the sweetest, the sweetest thing. Just speaking of inclusivity and and all of that. No, and that does, and just talking about like working with kids in school and just seeing how characters can affect them. It's cool to know that someone's creation can literally mean healing or not for a kid. Because it's like mentality plays so much into that. And so having something that kind of, I don't know, gives you spirit, gives you courage, but it's just, that's cool. That's really cool. I think it's fairly obvious, but why was this an important one for us to talk about? For me, because obviously here we allegedly focus on women-centered work. This kind of hits the nail on the head in a lot of different areas because it's created by women, written by women, at least this episode directed by women, starring women. And I think that kind of gives us, gives women the control of the narrative. It gives women the control of this perspective. And that leads into really rich storytelling and it's and i appreciate that so much because in media you get the same story over and over and over again and seeing it in a different way is so damn refreshing this also shows women more than just the nice person more than just the maternal figure or the hot girl this is a girl that has or a woman that has experienced trauma that is dealing with it, not always healthily, but she's navigating it and it's real. And there are other people in this navigating their own issues in a very realistic way that I think people relate to and will appreciate. And more specifically, seeing women in, you know, not the maternal role, not the, the hot girl. We see Jessica being a slob. Yep. We see that she does not have her life together at all. Nope. She's kind of disgusting. She's super cynical, which is not something we have a huge amount of media with that character as a woman. We have tons of representation of men mm-hmm. in that sort of slob role, like, a, you know, substance abuse and you know, doesn't have their life together. We don't have a ton. I think there's been more in recent years where we have kind of the the girl slob, basically, um, but not a ton. And then we also have the um, Jerry character who mm-hmm. is the basically polar opposite. She's, you know, she's wearing not a power suit, but a, like but a power her suit. dress is very much, it, it exudes that power that she has. Mm-hmm. And... We see her in that role, but then also not being totally 
you know, she's not totally in it to be nice. She's, she's not using it for good. Yeah. She she's using it for good, but she's also not using it for good. Mm-hmm. She's she's kind of on both sides of the coin there. She's playing it from both angles, which is, you know, maybe a little manipulative. So But it's unapologetic. Exactly. It's completely unapologetic. And we also see her having multiple relationships with other women. Mm-hmm. Again, unapologetic. Yep. You know, it I had to be like, I had to go back and be like, oh no that's not the same woman. Right. Like, I had to rewatch that scene mm-hmm. to be like, oh. Yep. And then you catch the the receptionist's, like, look on her face. And that was kind of what tipped me off, going, wait a minute. This isn't quite on the up and up. Yeah, and I, I definitely think these kind of portrayals of those two characters specifically, we we get that a, a lot because of the female writers, the, the director, not to say that Brian Michael Bendis didn't do his due diligence in portraying these characters, because he did. He he, you know, he laid the groundwork really well, and he obviously cares about representation. But then the creators putting their own stamp on it and presenting it from a female perspective. Yes. Yeah, I I agree with everything that y'all said, and then added in just how many women were involved in the production of this is a thing that still just blows my mind. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel like that's another important reason for us to talk about this one. Yep. And just tacking on, I think we kind of touched on this earlier, and I may have said, you're seeing roles typically inhabited by men that you don't think twice about a high-powered boss fucking a secretary while he's married. Exactly. You see that role taken by a woman, and that's interesting. It's not great. I'm not saying anything she's doing is good. But it's interesting, and it's a perspective we haven't seen. That was a discussion that you and I were having earlier, Lacey, because you and your husband went to see The Hustle. Yes. Have you seen that? I haven't, With no. Anne Hathaway and Rebel Wilson. And, oh, that one. I wanted it I, to be I cute. do want to see it. It's, it. Okay, here's the thing. It was, I'm sorry, finish your, I'll, I'll tell you that. And y'all said that while you enjoyed it, it was almost a shot-for-shot remake of Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. Uh-huh. And that's one of the problems I have with remakes, especially when they're trying to do these, like, quote-unquote female remakes, where... I think that's what you were talking about. Like, something on the surface looks like, oh, wow, cool, female-led, awesome. In reality, all they did was... They cast a couple of of women, but then the director is still male. The The writer is male. male, All the production staff is male. I want to say there was a woman involved in some aspects of the writing, but it's like, it's just kind of a woman painted over a a man's role and not in a way that that makes it interesting. And these were roles that... Iconic roles. Yeah. And with Jessica Jones, even though they're like, types that might have been played by men they wrote the roles for the women uh-huh. so it was interesting and that's the problem i have with these remakes is they're not saying or doing anything like they're putting women in roles and they're and that's great that's that's a very surface level representation but you don't have women in the room you don't have that perspective you don't have women behind the camera with this like if the hustle had been directed and written by a woman or by a team of women Totally different movie. Well, they don't give us enough credit to think that mm. we'll see that and be able to tell. It's just like, oh, because yeah, you can women. tell 
if there is an actress on the screen saying words that don't feel true to something a woman would actually say, you can tell. And that's when you start digging and you start looking down the the production list and going, okay, that's a guy, that's a guy, that's a guy. And you, you know, it's, you can tell. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was one woman involved in writing that the hustle. And that almost seems like token yep. at that point when there's only one. Yeah. They sort of felt like, oh, well, we're going to get in trouble if we don't include a woman. So let's mm-hmm. put one on there. But really, you know, we'd be doing it the exact same without her. That's insane. I know this isn't an episode about the hustle, but there were seven writers on that movie and it was basically a remake, basically a shot for shot remake. And it also bothered me that, they, again, they cast a woman of size, larger size, in the slobby, goofy, I can double as a trash bag role. <laughs> yeah. Which I'm not saying big girls can't do that, but it would be nice to see us. What if, what if we were the, the, the really sophisticated one? Yeah. Like big people can't be sophisticated, apparently. Have you seen Booksmart? I love Booksmart. It's so good. And so good. the, uh, the chubby girl Beanie never once do they mention she was never a slob. She was never clumsy. She was never. She was smart. She was driven. And the like the boys in the bathroom talking about her, mm-hmm. they're like, yeah, she's cute. And they like have problems with her personality. Never <laughs> once do they talk about her size in nope. that entire movie. And it was the most refreshing thing in the world. And she was, there were a lot of gratuitous food jokes. Oh, yeah. There were, I, I, don't, I don't think there, there were, were any. any. There were none. Yeah. Which I still, Laura, you need to see that. I do need to see that. It's so good. I cannot (laughs) recommend it highly enough. It is, I could talk for another hour about that movie. That's in my spirit soaring. That was such a good, good movie. (sighs) So let's let this move into our recommendations. Yeah. If somebody liked Jessica Jones, what would you recommend they read or watch next? Veronica Mars, I think. Uh, TV show wise. Um, as far as the like PI snooping around, um, I think that that kind of ticks all those boxes. Um, for comic books, I think if somebody is looking for the more diverse, uh, more inclusive comics, I think Miss Marvel is a great choice. I think um, the Miles Morales Spider Man is also a great choice. Um, America. The America Comics, um, America Chavez is another one that's just a spectacular character. I could go on and on. But yeah, I think those are all characters that that are more inclusive and feel more real. And they don't have... There's some characters that I think Marvel it, like dusts off and they like might go back to the 60s or the 40s or something. But And they've got this weird history where they were used in very strange ways. <laughs> And we, like, revamp them. And that's fine. That's good. But I think a lot of the characters that I've mentioned are sort of newer. Mm -hmm. And so they don't have that history of being used in ways that didn't suit the character. So it's not hard to go back and read the entire catalog without being confused about their origin story, without going, oh, well, I sure wish they had used this character in a better way instead of like using them as the butt of the joke or, you know, something like that. So I think a lot of those characters have, um, and when you dig deep, you know, you find that America Chavez is written by 
an LGBT Latina. Like, so the people behind the scenes are also, the, the creators are, are also very diverse and inclusive. Yeah, they're getting a chance to write themselves and their experiences. Absolutely, and that feels so much more real. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Ms. Marvel too, G. Willow Wilson is, uh, is a Muslim woman, so she is writing this character. And in just the little hints and just, like, the little, like, the language she uses and things like that, it just feels so much more authentic. Those little nuance touches. Absolutely. Yeah, and, and as a reader, I imagine that is so much more interesting to read about than just the same kind of story over and over again. I am so bored seeing more white cis men being superheroes. We've seen it so many times and I don't think there's that many stories that we haven't already seen from that perspective. And so seeing these different perspectives, I think, is so refreshing and so interesting. And like, I don't want to read Captain America comics. It's just not that interesting to me. He's a great character, but he's been around for so long and we know that story. I want to see these new stories. Mm -hmm. Snaps to that. Everything you just said. And I don't really want to add much onto that because I fully agree. And I fully agree with Veronica Mars because these feel very different worlds, I think, in a way. But I feel or I wonder what the interaction would be. Like, how would Veronica Mars and Jessica Jones approach a case? Oh, that'd be interesting because they're such different people. Mm -hmm. I'd like to see them work together. I want to see that. Also, Kristen Ritter was in Veronica Mars. She was. It's true. Worlds collide. It's true. As far as recommendations go, we already talked about it, but if you want to see smart, strong female leads with female creators behind the scenes, Booksmart. Go see Booksmart. It's Booksmart. so good. It's not anything in our, like, what we would cover in the it has, podcast. Yeah, it has but nothing it's to do. Good. It's not related to this at all, no but one it's dies. so good. <laughs> No one's murdered, but it's so, it's so, so good. And just wrapping up my recommendation really quickly, this is actually something that I'm going to be checking out for myself, so I just want to share it with the readers. Kristen Ritter is an author, if you didn't know. She has a novel that's out called Bonfire, and it sounds really interesting, and I'm getting that on my Audible today, and I will be checking that out, so I encourage you to check that out with me. For a first book, it's really pretty good. Um, I'm excited to yeah. read it. Like, I was reading about it, and it sounds... I think I read it in two days, and that was just because I had to sleep and work. (laughs) But you were, like, that hooked on it. Yeah, it was really good. I wanted to know what happened. Nice and nice. So my recommendation was going to be Veronica Mars as well. Also, you're not going to have to wait too long to hear us talk about that one. Yeah, that's coming very soon. And for those of you, I think Hulu is only in the U.S. right now, but all of the Veronica Mars seasons are on Hulu right now, so you have a chance to go watch that. And then the new season premieres at the end of the month. July 26th. Woo! My other recommendation is going to be in the comic world. Check out the Batgirl comics written by Hope Larson. So she also wrote another comic book that I really like called Goldie Vance, but I'm not going to recommend that one right now because that will probably be a recommendation for another episode. But that one's really good. So I'll just say check out Hope Larson's comic books. The work of Hope Larson? Yes. Her Batgirl ones are very, like, detective work, kind of getting back to the root of kind of the Batman story-ish type thing. And the first one takes place overseas, and it's just a lot of fun. She'll solve any crime by dinner time. Yeah. <laughs> oh, sorry. That's another mystery. <laughs> Possibly the greatest mystery 
ever written. And we didn't really talk about the Bechtel test because I don't really feel a need to. There's obviously lots of women who talk about lots, lots of things, things other than... Not these. necessary. Yeah. This this passes pretty quickly. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you for being with us, Jenny. Um, where can we find you on social media? Oh, I don't really use Twitter, but sometimes I Instagram about books that I read. Is it Jenny with an I? I think it's the Jenny with an I. So Jenny and then spelled out with an I. Cool. So if you want to check out new book recommendations, follow her account. Yeah, because you do read a lot. I try. Thank God <laughs> someone does because I'm awful. But the, the, the comic books and the graphic novels help me like boost up my numbers. So it looks like I read a lot, but really I can slam through a graphic novel in an evening with it's so easy. I love graphic novels. And real quick, we just wanted to say hi to some of the people that are out there listening. We kind of get reports on where our downloads are coming from. So hello to Reading, England, and whoever there that downloaded all of our episodes. Thank you so much. Thank you. Shout out to Reading. And um, <laughs> Iceland, we've gotten some downloads from there. And we should learn how to, we should learn languages of the countries that download our episodes and we can include them in those languages so you can butcher it yes because we love that they would love i mean i can't think of anything more complimentary yes that's what i just love is when the people i listen to say things terribly in my language awfully yeah but thank you so much for listening we appreciate your support and we hope you like the show yeah um as always if y'all want to recommend something to us or have any questions um all of our information will be in the outro all right everyone say bye bye thank you for listening to this episode of fatal fems like us on facebook at fatal fems and follow us on twitter and instagram at fatal underscore fems have a question or comment for the show shoot us an email at fatalfemspodcast at gmail.com Episodes are now available on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or whatever podcatcher you use. Don't forget to leave us a rating while you're there. If you like what you've heard, check out our Patreon page. We have different sponsorship levels with perks that will allow us to make more content and better quality episodes. We hope you enjoyed this episode, because if you didn't, the consequences could be fatal. Thanks for listening.